Happy New Year, and welcome to year six of the Faculty Factory Podcast. I just want to let you know that as of January 1st, 2024, this podcast has had nearly 86,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners in 94 different countries, and our website has drawn 40,000 web visits from users in 122 different countries. This is an international platform, and we want you to be a guest on our show. Send us a message over at facultyfactory.org slash contact us if you are interested or if you just have any feedback on our show at all or you can contact our host Dr. Kimberly Skorupski directly at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Thank you so much for being a part of this program over the years. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski looking at my lovely colleague and friend Dr. Jennifer Lee Summers. Hi Jenny. Hello, how are you? Folks, Dr. Jennifer Lee is our, at at Hopkins, Senior Associate Dean for the Office of Women in Science and Medicine in the Office of Faculty. She's a professor of anesthesiology and critical care medicine and pediatrics in the Division of Pediatric Anesthesiology. We love Jenny, super, super energetic, lots of ideas and hard work and doing wonderful things for our faculty here at Hopkins. And if you want to hear more from Jenny, and I promise you, you will after this session, she's already a frequent flyer on the Faculty Factory podcast, episode 134, where she talked about her Welly program, the Women's Empowerment Leadership Initiative and Visiting Professor Exchange program. She started both of these programs. So if that intrigues you, check out episode 134 and then episode 226, where it's all about leadership. Anyway, you just go on to facultyfactory.org and you can do a control F and search for Jenny Lee and you'll see her episodes. By the way, you might also want to go to YouTube and you can um, do a YouTube and search for her there and you can see all kinds of topics that are bucketed in different um, domains. So that's another option for you. But Listen, we have Jenny Lee here today again because recently um, we invited her to give a workshop on time management in general. So she put together this fabulous interactive workshop entitled Produce More in Less Time. Produce More in Less Time. And I'm I'm emphasizing produce because my brain wants to say do more in less time. And I liked her distinction between doing and producing. And that's part of, I think, what is the nugget of her wisdom and managing her life and schedule is being productive without necessarily doing more and being busy, busy. So anyway, I'm going to turn it over to Jenny Lee. She's going to talk about about three or four high level concepts and give us, give us all some really great tips on producing more and less time. Take it away, Jenny. Thank you so much, Kim, for inviting me. I think this is so important because we go through so much training and we're taught to be so efficient, but yet nobody actually teaches us how to manage our time. And when I think about producing more and not just doing more, I think about time management as actually being energy management. And so for me on a personal level, it's not that I'm managing my time, I'm managing how I spend my energy on that day or at any given time in the day, and what will be most effective for me. Mm -hmm. I love that energy management. That's such a nice way of reframing and rethinking of that because you and I, you know, Jenny and I are both certified coaches. And I I think 
time management features heavily in a lot of my coaching relationships. And I like the way you capture that with energy because isn't, isn't after all, a lot of us who feel like we have no time, no time, no time. And that corresponds with feeling depleted. I don't have the energy because I'm exhausted. So this is why your insight is so valuable. So I can't wait for you to share it. Yeah, thank you. So you had mentioned four main things, and these this is basically the four ways that I live my life. Um, I think about my priorities. I'm not afraid to say no. And there's ways to say no, but keep your friendships and relationships. I'm really particular in how I manage my schedule, and everybody will have a different style, but I can share a little bit about how I do mine. And then fourth, I'm always looking for opportunities to delegate, but delegating is really hard. And so it has to be the right opportunity to delegate to the right person. Love it. All right. Tell us about prioritization. How do you do it? Because, you know, we, Jenny, in our leadership courses, we always share that Covey, that fabulous Covey matrix, a two by two matrix of the things that are urgent, not urgent, important, not important. But talk to us about how you prioritize. So I think in terms of big picture priorities, so where I want to go overall. So for instance, if I'm really working on getting ready to ask to go up for promotion, I would be focusing my energy and time on things that actually count towards promotion. Um, This is how I decide what to say yes to, what to say no to. I'm constantly weighing how something will get me closer to my big priority. It also helps me figure out what is urgent and what's not. So on my clinical days, I'm a pediatric anesthesiologist. Clinical care is the most important thing. Whatever the patient needs, that is the highest priority for that day. So everything is shifting around, you know, based on what my high priority needs are. It also tells me what to take off of my plate. So I'll give you an example. It's going to happen at three o'clock this afternoon. Of course, a meeting is scheduled that only I can go to. I can't delegate it, but because of my role in the dean's office, it has to be me that needs to be there. But my son, who's in eighth grade, is looking at different schools to go uh, for high school in the city. And I need to meet with his principal, his teachers and him to talk about what his best options are. Well, which is higher priority? School or sons (laughs) or this dean's office meeting? Well, it's my son. Yeah. And so I had to say to the dean's office, I cannot make this meeting. And I explained, you know, I have an urgent meeting for the school. And guess what? The sky did not fall down. You weren't fired? They didn't fire I wasn't fired. I wasn't. And at three o'clock, I will be at my highest priority meeting, which is my son. Exactly. Thank you for saying that and for you know, resetting the cultural expectations of how we behave around here at Hopkins. Yes, I love it. A dean's meeting, or any meeting for that matter, can be rescheduled. Your son can't be, you can't pause eighth grade. There are deadlines, there are things that have to happen. That is more urgent in the moment. That is a time, a timely event. So this is priority. And I love how you have the um the discernment to be able to figure out. Well, yeah, it is kind of the dean's office is important. However, in this particular instance, that can be rescheduled or happen anytime. This, my son, has this one opportunity to go to high school. So there we go. That's absolutely right. It's all about priorities, the big priorities, and the priority for that day may change. But there are some priorities that are above all else, and that includes my son. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Love it. What about no? What's this no thing? 
and saying no gracefully and not getting people angry at us? And how do you manage the no? Yeah, it's really hard. And um, I always get a little bit stressed out even still, even though I teach how to give a graceful no. Um, Am I going to disappoint them? Mm. Am I going to miss out? You know, fear of missing out. Will they never invite me back? Will they Mm. think less of me? But I don't think that's true because when somebody tells me in an appropriate way that they can't do an obligation, I'm really grateful for them being straightforward and giving me the message. And so if I deem something to be of lower priority that I can't do, and I had to do this yesterday, um, I have to say no. So I was asked to be on a thesis advisory committee for another country. It's kind of a big deal. It's an international, you know, brain research thesis but I don't have the time because I've got to prioritize other things. And so there's a variety of ways to gracefully say no. My favorite one is to first express gratitude. I'm so honored that you asked me, please thank the people who referred me. This is such an important project because it is. And then say all the great things that I'm busy with and why I can't take on this additional thing. So Mm -hmm. I told them I'm very busy in the Dean's office And I'm enjoying this career change that I've got in the dean's office. And because I'm so busy, I would not be able to give the amount of time that's needed to do the excellent job that I would hope to do. So lovely. Love it. Honest. Honest. um, But we don't bamboozle ourselves by saying no, Mm -hmm. because it could be, well, oh, Jenny's lazy. Or, oh, Jenny just doesn't want to do it. No, it's just that Jenny's having success in another part of her life. Mm -hmm. So I'm all the time asking people to do things. You know, Mm -hmm. the visiting professor exchange, come give a lecture. And the favorite no that I've received from anybody that I've invited to give a lecture was, my mentors have told me that this year I really need to kick it into high gear because we have some great research uh, that we need to publish and submit for grants. And so this is not the year for me to be writing lectures. And I thought that is the best no I've ever heard. There you go. I said, good luck. Let me know. Yeah, let me know if you need a lecture, but fabulous. Good for you. Exactly. I I, I love when I get a no and I was tickled recently because similarly I invited, let's see, we have an early career faculty resource advisory council here at Hopkins. And when faculty members get promoted to associate professor, they roll off of the committee, the council. And I asked someone else who was on the council if he would take leadership of this one working group. And he he declined. And then I went to the, somebody else and she, the she, the other junior fa- early career faculty member had also a very graceful decline. And it was something along the lines of, gosh, this is this work is, is really exciting. I love being on this council. And so-and-so has done a great job leading it. At this point, I'm really working on my K and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And so I can't do it this year. And it was something along those lines that was just very much along, kind of aligned with what you're saying. She didn't say, no, don't ever email me again, or didn't re- ignore the email, but told me what was going on. And I said, good for you. This is a great, graceful no. I wish you success. And we'll see you at the next council meeting. And that way, I mean, I, she, the relationship was still intact. I know that she's still interested. And I understand, understand now her priorities. So that's, and that's cool. That's not going to change my respect for her or I'm not going to all of a sudden feel like she's not a team player. We all have competing priorities. And so it's important to know where people are at this moment. And you'd want someone to say, 
no, thank you, rather than saying, sure, I'll do it. And then they become invisible and they don't do it. They don't follow through. Then it's a disappointment. So that's the last thing you want to do is say yes to something, knowing or not necessarily knowing, but then doing a bad job. That's exactly right. And the thing that I love that you just said is not this year. Mm. So in addition to the no, it can be not yet or just not right now. And so don't count me out for the long run. Maybe I can participate next year. But that also tells me that someone's being really thoughtful about their work and the quality of the work that they want to put um, out. And when they do say yes to something or when I'm on a committee or a project with them, I have more faith that they're going to do a great job. That is a that's a great point. That's so true. Someone being thoughtful, judicious, having a good sense of their capacity and knowing that, no, because when I do something, I do it 100%. At this moment, I would not be able, like you said, to do my best work, and that would not be acceptable to me. And this requires the best work. How about Kim? I was just talking to Kim, and Kim was saying how she'd like to do this. Have you thought? I don't know what her you know, time commitments are, but maybe you can ask Kim. So subject, suggesting someone else and giving someone else a leadership opportunity um, is also, I think, a, a nice kind of help to help someone out. If someone's looking for someone to do something, you can poke, you know, you can refer other people. Absolutely. It's an opportunity to sponsor somebody else mm-hmm. to give a lecture or join a committee. Um, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We should be thinking mm-hmm. of other people. Love it. But also when we say no, we say yes to our highest priority. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that what is the uh, have so many little trait sayings, you know, um, no is a decision. Yes, is a responsibility. So when you say no, you know, no, that's off the list. But yes, once you say yes to something, that's something that's added to your list. It becomes a responsibility. So we have to be very careful. You right. say yes to a lot of things. You're going to start saying no to the important things. And, you know, our reputation relies on how well we do on the things that we say yes to. Right. That's exactly right. All right, let's go on to schedule. How does Dr. Jenny Lee organize her schedule? So everybody has a different style, and I'll tell you my style. I use an Outlook calendar, and Kim, if it doesn't fit on my calendar, it's not going to get done, period. And if it's not on my calendar, I don't expect myself to do it that day, and I just let that go. And that comes down to priorities. So if I've got a really high priority project, for instance, a paper that I need to write or some data that I'm working on, then I block out an hour or two on my calendar. And that is only for that data work and only for that writing. I don't try to do multiple things. I don't try to pay the bills. I don't try to have another phone call. I don't definitely don't squeeze a meeting in there. And I don't multitask. So people at work are always saying to me, you multitask amazingly. And I'm like, no, there's no multitasking. I do one thing at a time and then I move to the next one. And I only focus on that one thing. So for my calendar management, that tells me what I'm going to focus on for that hour, 15 minutes, half hour. And I don't deviate from it. I also know what times of the day I'm better at certain tasks. For instance, there are some tasks that require a bit more creativity a bit more flow in my writing. And I don't do well in the afternoon between like two and three because I hit this slump. Well, I'll say one to four. I just get kind of slumpy. You know, I'm tired. I want caffeine. Mm -hmm. I want chocolate. Um, Those aren't the times then I schedule myself to write. 
Knowing ourselves is the beginning of all wisdom. I totally agree. I'm the same way. Exactly, Jenny, the same thing. Same thing. I'm a high J in the Myers-Briggs, so I love nothing more than a list. And I'll go back to a list and put something on the list that I already did just so that I could cross it off. And that gives me immense satisfaction. Um, and I and I'm always cautious when I talk about myself because I think there obviously there are people listening to this podcast around the world who are like, but I'm not like that. I'm a high P. I don't like to be hemmed in by a calendar or a list or a schedule or an agenda or an itinerary. I just let things happen and I go with the flow. Um, so I worry about that. And people say, well, I'm not like that. So what do you suggest for me? And I, I know you do coaching too. And I know I'm putting you on the spot here as I'm talking, trying to think of what we could op- what advice we could give to our colleagues who are not married to the calendar situation well the the way i handle these coaching sessions is as i go back to priorities and values and i say what is your most important thing that you want to get done right now or on this day Um, for instance patient care when i'm in the operating room or you know maybe when someone's in clinic but when they get out of clinic their priority can change And then when they think of all the other competing things, and usually our clients can give us a laundry list of things that also need to get done. And then we just go through them one by one. Is that higher priority than this? Mm. Is that higher priority than this? Mm. And and then they start getting into the habit of really being intentional Mm. about how they use their time and energy. And they can choose to do that any way they want. They can write it down. They can journal about it. They can make a mental picture in their head. They can feel how great it will be to work on their highest priority project. Mm -hmm. But it's really up to the individual. Mm -hmm. Now, you said something about the joy of crossing off things on the to-do list. Yeah. And, um, you know, as coaches, we all get coached. And it's really important um, that we grow ourselves. And one thing that my coach taught me um, was there's just this lovely dopamine surge when you check something off on the to-do list and I got it done and this is great. And my coach looked at me and said, well, you're just getting yourself into a cycle. I mean, you're just getting addicted to loving checking things off and you're not actually going anywhere. Mm. And I was like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, oh no, I, uh, uh. And, and she's right. And so it's easy to get into the, I'm just going to check off a bunch of things and say, I did a lot today, but this goes back to how you started the podcast. It's not about doing a lot. It's about producing a lot. And mm. what you produce should be what you deem to be one of your highest priorities. Mm. Mm. Jenny, that's so important. Again, reminding us different strategies of prioritization. So if you're listening to the podcast and you're thinking, Wow, these two must be nice that they can they have um control over their daily lives or they have a they have the option of scheduling an hour here or 20 minutes there. I don't have that option. So maybe, yes, on a certain day, a certain week, a certain block of time, you may not have um complete liberty to go and, and mess around in a calendar and determine where you're going to be and where you're doing surgeries or where you're doing your research or where you're having meetings. And yet there are windows at some point where you do have the flexibility. So those that the times I would think, and maybe I'm being obnoxious here, that you would say, okay, now, now this is my time 
and that if that's the during the day, a week, a month, a semester, or whatever block that where where things do get freed up, that is where it is your opportunity to say, okay, now it's me time. How am I going to um, live this moment? What's going to make me um, feel and think like I am making progress and doing what I, what's important to me, right? And I, I know I'm rambling there, but is that making more sense? Because I always, again, I worry about faculty or people who are like, I don't have that kind of flexibility. I can't go in and mush my calendar and, and scoop things around like that. So yeah. how do we help them? I guess it's just, you know, when they don't have the schedule, when they aren't seeing, they aren't on call and they do have their research time, that's when you really have to kind of like, okay, be prepared and be in it to win it and take advantage of the time, right? So then I usually tend to ask the question, well, how might you do both at the same time? So for instance, if you want to do um, research in a specific disease, can you marry that time um, during your clinic? So can your clinic expertise area also be an area of research that you're really interested in? Can you be running your clinical trials while you're doing clinical care? Um, the majority of my physiologic uh, monitoring during neurosurgery, one of my research areas, always happened while I was also doing clinical care and other things. And then I was able to set up automated systems where data would automatically feed into these um, data repositories without me needing to be involved. But since I had become so focused on caring for this population in my regular clinical practice, they overlapped. And so the energy that I was putting into my clinic, my clinical work contributed to the research I wanted to do. And then the research that I wanted to do made me more knowledgeable for the patients I was taking care of. So in the same amount of time, I could achieve both of my goals um, and in the end, hopefully provide better care for the patients and really move the field forward. So I often ask, how can you do both at the same time? Intentionality, Jenny, you're reminding me of what you said earlier, intentionality. And it's also, you're making me reflect on a recent podcast episode where, oh gosh, it was, oh, I can lose Robert, Bob Tillman, maybe who like, I love education. So why don't I marry my doing rounds with, you know, residents and fellows and trainees when we're going to, you know, round around the hospital and see patients, why don't I build in extra time to embed education at that time? I mean, I got around with patients anyway. Why not marry both of those functions um, together and think of, and it doesn't, doesn't happen accidentally Typically, I mean, maybe it does happen once accidentally. You're like, wait a minute, I'm just doing, I'm doing teaching now. The patient is winning. The learner is winning. I'm winning because I feel good. Other learners are seeing this. Everybody wins. Maybe that would inspire you to do that more. But what you're talking about is helping me think of leveraging opportunities of things we're already doing. And how can you be intentional to think ahead of time? Okay, wait a minute. If I'm going to be for the next X weeks on service and I've got a realm on call, how could I structure that time or effort or energy so that it's it's banking or earning interest somewhere else? That's genius. That's exactly right. Can you exactly us, right. Can you give us an example of because what you're you're talking about your data? Can you give us just higher level example? 
or a little bit lower level example of how you made that work? How did you automate something? Can you, without getting into too much of the weeds, I guess, help give it somebody an idea how an anesthesiologist, uh, anesthesiologist ha- had data feeding into something else? Kind of, is that possible? Can you tell us how that? Yeah, I, um, I partnered with a team at the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. And we all had the same overall goal and develop software. And then uh, we're able to deploy it. Uh, the, the University of Cambridge team deployed it basically around the world and came up with a way to make it possible for us to streamline um, high resolution data without needing continuous input from a person. And I was one of the people that was testing it and refining it and moving it from the lab into clinic. And so that was one of the big high priorities for me was to translate this technology that we developed in the lab into potentially a worldwide clinical tool. Holy moly. So that's how that came about. Yeah. So, so, okay. Necessity is the mother of all invention. Necessity. (laughs) So you and your brain get together with other brains going, hey, we're all doing this. We all want to do that. What if? And you're making me think of another conversation where um, we have our caregivers monthly meeting, those faculty who are taking care of their moms and dads and and partners. And someone was sharing her experience with her dad and post eye surgery, had to figure out some protocol of helping dad who's got early onset dementia, how to administer what drop and what eye and a table, like a table, how to do this. Well, so she shared her screen and other faculty on the call were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh, we need this. How, how did you develop this? Well, I just kind of made a drop. So here's someone who, again, necessity required that she, because she's not living with dad, dad's in a different state, put this tool together. Now, lo and behold, Jenny, it's been like a week later, I've been copied on these emails that are going to high level people in the hospital who are going to use this tool to give the patients post-surgery I mean, this is how these kind of moments spark creativity. And it's that intentionality of thinking, wait a minute. So if I'm going to create something, I'm going to make something or we need something. How can we maximize this game for everybody? So I love how you're, you shared that. So thanks for sharing how you did that and had maybe encouraging other people to think of, all right, what do I do routinely in my job? And as everybody else does, is there some way we can capture or again, maximize our effort to manage our energy. That's brilliant. Yeah, I was just thinking about how much energy that saves with that chart because you don't have to call your dad, you know, three times a day and say which bottle goes for which eye. And then that gives a lot of independence to a lot of independence to to your dad or that the, you know, your colleague's dad. And so it's a win-win situation. And then everybody saves a little bit of energy because you don't have all the aggravation of remembering to call and exactly. I love it. Love it. All right. So Dr. Jenny Summers, we've done prioritizing big picture, saying no, scheduling, being intentional about our schedule. Oh, could you, you're really good at putting breaks. And I wanted to make sure that people heard your wisdom around scheduling breaks in addition to time and for work. How do you do that? And then We want to hear a little bit about how you delegate. Yeah, so I learned the importance of breaks the hard way. So I hit burnout a few years ago, and it was pretty bad. It was to the point where I was 
feeling syncopal at the end of my days. Um, and then I've, I now have uh, problems with my back. And so I learned that I have to schedule in these breaks um, for my body. But then I realized, wait a minute, I think clearer. When I have these breaks, I'm more efficient with my time when I have these breaks, and I know what I need to do and want to do when I take these breaks. And so if you actually look, you know, when I can control my calendar, it's written, break. I've got a 15-minute break after I pop our podcast before I go into the next meeting. And we do that in the operating rooms as well. Um, in between cases, take a walk around the operating room, take a lap, do some stretching, do something. Um, you'll laugh at me, Kim. Sometimes when my camera's off on Zoom meetings, I'm stretching or I'm planking. It's okay. I can work on my core strength because we've got to move. It's so important. You know, this Zoom world that we're in where we go meeting to meeting to meeting, we don't have to do that. We have to conserve. There you go. A dumbbell. She just lifted a dumbbell. That's right. You can lift a little bit of weights. <laughs> You right. can do some self-care, fit it in somehow. And then I found when I learned to do this, that suddenly I was far more productive with my time mm. and I was happier at the end of the day. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Again, I love how you endorse this, just a way of being. So many times I think with our leaders, we don't know how they manage their lives and their calendars, and their schedules. And so we sometimes tell ourselves stories that we're not working hard enough, we're not going fast enough, we're not serious enough, we're not committed enough. So here's a great example of a leader who say, my kid is my priority. I have to take care of my body and my well-being. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to function. And that's so right, especially now post-COVID, everything is on Zoom or so much is on Zoom. And despite us talking about scheduling 50-minute meetings or start after the hour, all of our meetings still start like at the, I feel like at the top of the hour. So you barely have a minute. Barely, you don't have a minute. I mean, one meeting ends and you're clicking on another Zoom link and taking your camera off so you can run and get something to drink, use the restroom. And that that kind of frenetic pace, at least back in the olden days, the horse and buggy days, when we had meetings <laughs> down the hall or down the street or around the corner. We had those moments to gather up our binder, our portfolio, our laptop, and walk to another meeting where we could be breathing and moving and thinking and smiling and laughing and chatting with other human beings. And now we just sit and click, 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 click. We don't have that debrief, stretching, thinking, all that, that stuff's gone. So it's, I think it's even more important that we are intentional about, for crying out loud, Let's does a meeting have to start at 11 o'clock? Can we start at 1110? You know, but Outlook kind of automatically has you starting on you know, the, the top or the half hour point, right? Can we train ourselves to say, no, it's going to start at 10 after and, and it's going to end at 10 too? Oh, absolutely. Let's try, let's try it. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets back to the energy management. Right. You know, and that movement that you we used to have moving between physical locations to have these meetings. Yeah. You know, I, I ask many of my coaching clients, you know, they, they're very driven to take care of their patients. That's why we became physicians. But I look at them and I say, well, if you burn out and have to quit in five to 10 years, how many patients will you help versus having a career that lasts 20 years? And then yeah. they do the math. <laughs> and then we say, well, you know, actually, we can serve more people. 
if we conserve our energy, take care of ourselves now, mm-hmm. my impact might be bigger in the world. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's another way of flipping and reframing that that idea that you have to do more, faster, harder, go go really fast. It's like the the race metaphor, right? You know, the the, the gunshot gets fired. You're ready, set, go. You don't have to run 100 miles an hour because guess what? you're not going to make it. You have to pace yourself. You have to take the water breaks. You have to take the, the potty break. You have to pull off and have a minute and slow down. You're never going to get to the end because they're in academic medicine. There is no end. This is right. life. This is life. So yeah, I love it. Right. What about, what about delegating Jenny Lee? I think that's the hardest task um, mm-hmm. because it requires, <laughs> it requires letting go. And it requires letting go of how something is done. But we have to be really clear on what needs to be done and what it looks like at the end. Mm. And so we have to delegate when we have the right opportunities. And that, you know, dictates how we can actually handle our day and what we can actually produce. So I like to use you. You were just lifting a dumbbell um, on the Zoom screen and and keep doing that. You know, everybody should be moving (laughs) during their Zoom meetings. It's so important. Um, but if you asked me to go to the gym and do a bicep curl with a 10-pound weight, I'm okay. I can do it. But if you give me a 20-pound weight, that's not good. And you know I'm going to hurt myself. And so that's like delegating a task to somebody who doesn't know how to do it or doesn't have the skill level. It's equivalent to me of going to a student, like a, an early medical student, and say, hey, write this grant and then send it to me and we'll submit I mean, that's like asking me to lift a 50-pound weight. I can't do it. And then the student would get discouraged. We've done a disservice to them. And then they're probably going to leave the field. Yeah. And so we and always we, have we're to... we're disappointed. And we're disappointed. Yes. And we're disappointed. Relationship. Yeah. Yep. And then probably what happened was we said yes to the grant when we didn't actually have the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the quality of the product is low. And then our reputation is at stake. Um, so I always say, think about what your delegatee is experienced in and what their growth is. So give me a 15 pound weight, not a 50 pound weight, and then I'll grow a little bit. And then we have to think about how many times we need to check in with them to see how the progress is going. So if somebody's new, we may check in or we should check in more often to make sure the what is looking like what we want it to look like. But if somebody's really experienced, you know, let them go, let their creativity run, and then touch base to the end. Mm-hmm. But be really clear on what we want that end product to look like. Mm-hmm. That that's important to make drawing the distinction between the process and the outcome, and allowing someone to own their process as long as the outcome looks like that. Because I find myself getting very um, much into, well, this is how you do something. Here's how I would do it. You know, this is how Kim would do it. And then when I see someone else, Hey, are you working on that thing? And then I see them doing J and I would have been still on F I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're doing this wrong. No, that's Kim's way. So that whole, um, letting go that you said, letting go and letting them own their process, as long as you're confident and they're confident that they're going to get there, but it's just going to go a different way. That's the growth. And that's also growth for me, mm-hmm. you know, learning leadership skills of allowing people to use their own gifts and talents and strengths 
and keeping the same high bar for quality. And maybe I'll learn something that what my bar, maybe my bar was too low. And lo and behold, somebody else found a new way of doing something. And now um, we've upped their game. So it's it's tough. It takes time. It takes that intentionality. And it takes a thought beforehand, like you're saying, of finding the appropriate project for the right person at the right time at the right place. Yeah. And but it has to be a project that we are willing to take the risk of delegating. So if it's a really high stakes project. You have to think carefully about what part you want to delegate or if you're willing to delegate, because if it goes south, you've got to fix it. The other thing that I think a lot of perfectionists like me struggle with is that letting go is the tough thing, especially when you're, your natural inclination is to bring your A game to everything. So my, I want everything to be perfect. This is my idea of perfect. And so if some detail gets dropped or some ball gets goes down, falls through a crack, in Kim's world, that's the end of the world. And I have to learn that's not the end of the world. If a link didn't work in this email or that was the, that link was dead there or the wrong date or I put the wrong time, I have to learn as a faculty member, as a leader, that don't sweat the small stuff. I mean, there's I can't be so um, upset by details when it's not, as you mentioned, high stakes. They're figuring out like which which hill do I want to like plant my flag and where do where am I willing to say, okay, that is not as important as getting to the end result. Did people get to the meeting? Did you accomplish the goal? Did you make the decision? Did you come up with the recommendations? Yes. Um, did you build community, Kim, your number one mantra? Yes. How we got there was like we rambled around a little bit. This happened, that happened, a couple of that, but all in all, it's like having a party. Did everybody have a good time? Yeah. Did the, you know, did this break? Yeah. Did someone spill that? Yeah. Did the was this food this? Yeah, yeah. But we had a good time. So that's kind of like the I try to remind myself, Kim, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't that's not important that there aren't any sticky name tags. We're fine. We all have ID badges. Don't get distracted. Don't let your perfectionism you know, get in the way of whatever, being productive or actually enjoying your life or don't let that consume you. So I wanted to share that because that's kind of me, my own bugaboos. And I find that with coaching some folks that are we're perfectionists in academic medicine, that can really impede our progress. Definitely. And, you know, nobody wants to work for a micromanager. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us feel terrible about ourselves. And so we should try not to do that to others. Yeah. So delegating, being thoughtful, being intentional, learning to release that hold of control and doing it appropriately, allowing others to shine, um, offloading some work on our schedule allows, frees us up to do something else. I think that's a win-win. It takes a lot of um takes effort and practice, but I think it's also a good, a really good tool for being, um, producing more in less time. So that's great. Yes. But we must be doing quality checks along the time. Yes. I mean, along the, along the process to make sure that the end product is the high quality that we expect. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. You can't just say, right. So we tend to, you know, Somebody would say, Kim, you're in charge of this. You got to get it done. And I'll be like, yep, on it. What's the deadline? December 15th. I'm on it. 
And that person could trust that I'm going to do it and it will be done December 15th, probably done December 12th. And I will have knocked it out of the park. And in that kind of a mindset, I have to realize not everybody else has that same mindset or way of doing things. And so I will get in trouble if I said, well, Jenny, did you do that thing? You're like, oh, no, you know, other things got in the way. But two months ago, you said you'd do it. Well, how am I supposed to expect that Jenny, I maybe I didn't check in with her. So she thought maybe it dropped off the off the radar. It wasn't important anymore. Or she was doing something else. But all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my gosh, but you didn't call the caterers. Ah! Oh, you didn't tell me about the caterer. So it, it can be that, yeah, that assumptions, making assumptions is will get us into trouble, can get us into trouble. Right. Or I might have assumed that you were going to do a check in with me at some point and we mm-hmm. would double check things. And I'd be like, I got stuck on this problem and I don't know how to navigate it. And I was waiting for you to reach out to me. Oof. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, this has been great. Dr. Jenny Lee Summers. See, great colleagues. I know you've got them at your institution. Dr. Jenny Lee Summers, you can contact her at jennifer.lee, L-E-E, at jhmi.edu. You'll find her episode on the thefactorydefactory.org. Go to YouTube. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again, Jenny. You always have such great advice and are just lovely. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Kim. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.